Science reading is from uh, Mark 10, 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he came to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. There was perhaps only one person in ancient society that was more vulnerable than a beggar. And that would be a blind beggar. That would be about the only thing that could make it even harder. A beggar wandered the streets looking for scraps and resources. A blind beggar could not even do that. He had no capacity at all to meet his basic needs. And so the the, the character in our story tonight is a picture of someone who needs mercy, someone who cannot do for himself what he needs to be done. His his name literally is Bar, son of Timaeus. Timaeus meant honored one. His dad's name was honored one. And so every time this least honored one heard his name called, he probably felt shame because he was not living as an honored one. Jericho was a few hours' walk from Jerusalem. Many of the temple priests lived there. And so if you were a beggar, it was a pretty good gig as gigs went because pilgrims and priests were supposed to give alms. And if you positioned yourself right at the right times of year, you'd likely pick up some as they went up to temple. And so this man spent his life squatting beside the Jericho Road and begging. But what he really wanted was to see. And so he hears of this uh, wonderful young rabbi from, of all places, Nazareth, who they say heals. And then he hears that that very rabbi is walking by in a crowd, and so he cries out to him a flicker of hope burning in his chest. This is a story about the healing of a profound physical problem. It's also a story about faith, about asking for mercy in the face of overwhelming obstacles. And that's mostly what I want to talk to you about tonight. But before we do, I just want to think for a moment about the more literal healing that is here. The blind man asked Jesus to heal him 
three different times. First, he cries out for mercy. Then he cries out for mercy again. Jesus calls him. He runs to him, asks him what he wants. The blind man tells him, I want to recover my sight. And the Lord says, your faith has made you well. Now, and we talked a little bit about this last week, but we are immediately conditioned to read the story as a metaphor. We're immediately conditioned to go to a broader reading, which we're going to do in a moment, and I think that's a very fair way to read the story, and the church has read it that way for many, many years. But we don't really consider the possibility that God still could hear this way today. And the reason why uh, is, I think, because we're raised in a Western worldview, which sees healing as a scientific process in which our biochemistry is affected through medicine. We've been trained to see the body essentially as a machine. Machines don't need miracles. Uh, You just switch out the parts. We've also been trained to be in awe of Western medicine, and for good reason. I would have been dead before my first birthday without Western medicine. Western medicine is a good thing, a gift from God. It is amazing. It's part of God's healing work. Anyone who serves in medicine is part of God's healing work in the world. But Western medicine does not have all the answers. Uh, I read a book once about surgery in Paris in the 18th century. And it was ghastly. There were no antibiotics. There was no anesthesia. They didn't know anything about germs. You, you, you thought that you cut people, let them bleed, and somehow that healed them. And you read that and you go, oh, that was barbaric. How could they have been so dumb back then? They were doing everything they knew. It was the best science they had. Don't you think 400 years from now, somebody will read about medicine in the early 21st century and like look at our poor chemotherapy and go, You've got to be kidding me. They did that to people? How barbaric. Well, we're doing the best that we have. But the best doctors know we don't know much. The mystery of human healing is vast and deep, and we are just beginning to explore how and why human bodies and souls heal. And I think this is why so many people today are exploring alternative approaches to healing. It's why places like Duke and Harvard and Stanford and the Mayo Clinic now offer acupuncture and meditation and Chinese uh, approaches and things like that. It's why Time Magazine runs a story on prayer and healing. It's why you hear more about the mind-soul-body connection. Is because we are learning that the body is more than a machine. It's deeply connected to our souls. And whether you're a Christian or not, people are beginning to understand that there is a power in the world out there beyond drugs, beyond ourselves, that can bring healing and wholeness. So where am I going with this? Well, I'm encouraging us, when you read a story like this, instead of saying, you know, we we know better now. Those primitives, they just didn't know what we know. We have modern medicine. I would say approach it like this. We don't really know much about human healing yet. The Western medical model is wonderful, but in its infancy. There is a lot more to healing than good meds and MRIs. This story suggests that the mercy of God can be a factor in human healing. I want to learn more. I want to press into that. I want to pray into that. I'm open to ministry. Let's go discover. There was a powerful documentary a few years ago about cancer research, and 
Uh, it told the story of uh, brave and brilliant men and women who just kept exploring better ways to treat cancer. That research is still going on today. It's a major reason why some in this room are still alive today. And it occurred to me, I wonder if we could think about healing prayer like research. Like, we don't know everything, and like we are coming together to try to learn how to explore the healing power of God. Now, there are three reasons I commonly hear when it comes to praying for healing and why we don't. Number one, I prayed and nothing happened. Two, I don't want to see anybody hurt if a prayer is not answered. And three, I've seen faith healers on TV who are not good people. All valid reasons, all valid concerns. But let me suggest that if cancer researchers had given up when a treatment did not work, or when someone was hurt when they were trying to heal, or when a bad apple abused the system, that we would never have seen the incredible breakthroughs that have happened in cancer research in the last 50 years. So let's think about praying for healing uh, like the researchers thought about finding cures for for cancer. Uh, Let's think about being a laboratory where we come together and grow and stretch and learn and make mistakes and clean them up. Kind of a laboratory of the soul where we explore the deeper mystery of God's healing. You know, a lot of people think that the human being is not done evolving. Einstein actually said that we use 2% of our brain. It's kind of like me with my iPhone. Um, Could it be, if the Lord tarries, that we are just at the very beginning of this? That we are on the edge of a new frontier, of a new discoveries, that we're just now starting to learn what healing looks like? And maybe we're just now starting to learn how to release the power of God into our broken bodies and souls. That's how I'd like us to approach healing. Well, some of us are like Bartimaeus in that we need physical healing here tonight. Others are like him in many ways. Um, Some of us are kind of blind. There are some ways that we don't see. That was part of it that affected me this week, just just realizing that I don't always see what God's up to in the world. I don't always see where the Spirit's at work. I don't always see with God's eyes. I've been playing that God would heal my sight. Some of us may need healing from shame. Some of us may be like Bartimaeus in that you absolutely lack the resources to do what God has called you to do. There's something before you that you want to do, that you think God wants you to do, and you do not have the resources to do it. Um, Or maybe uh, it's even broader. Maybe you care deeply about the justice system, or race, or gender, our school system, um, life. And you've been working at it for years, and you just feel like Bartimaeus. You have no, no resources to make a dent and you're tired, and you're exhausted. Well, I ask you on Ash Wednesday to identify one area in your life where you need healing. And so I'll ask you again tonight, where are you like Bartimaeus? Where do you need mercy? 
Where do you need a miracle? Where do you need faith? Well, let's go back and look at this story again from wherever you are tonight and see if we can learn a little bit about the prayer of faith that heals. Because one thing that, that is very clear in this story is that Jesus links faith to healing. He says in verse 52, Go your way, your faith has made you well. Go your way, your faith has made you well. There is some kind of a relationship between your faith and your wellness. There's some kind of a relationship between faith and healing, between faith and God's power moving in and around you. Uh, that's true in these accounts uh, physically, but I think it's true when we are, are trying to heal a marriage, when we're caring for a child or fighting a social cause. Evidently, there's some relationship between your faith and God's release of healing power. Now, that is a difficult saying. How do you solve that riddle? What is the relationship of faith and healing? Well, it seems to me there's two extremes that we, we go to rather quickly. One extreme is, is we, we overemphasize God's sovereignty. And I say... God is sovereign. He will do whatever he wants to do. I trust him. If he wants to heal, he will heal. But I don't have anything to do with that. It's entirely up to him. And so if you pray at all, you just pray kind of minimally. That would be one answer to the question of the relationship between faith and healing. What's the problem? All through the Gospels, Jesus links faith and healing. The Gospel of Mark particularly. Some guys cut a hole in the roof where Jesus is having lunch. They drop their buddy down on him and they shout as all the plaster falls in, would you pray for him? And then we read, and Jesus saw their faith. My son, your sins are forgiven, he says. A hemorrhaging woman presses through the crowd, touches the cloak of Jesus. Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Jesus goes to his hometown. Nobody believes. He can't do miracles. Mark says, and he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. So clearly, there is some kind of a relationship between faith and healing. Now, the other extreme, I think, is we go to the other side and we say, well, this must mean that faith requires God to heal. And that if I have enough faith, he must heal that I, in a sense, can demand God to heal if I have enough faith. And we all know the dangers of that because it can lead good people to feel ashamed because they still have MS, even though they've been praying for 20 years. It also doesn't make sense biblically. Why? Jesus prays in the garden, remove this cup from me. The answer is no. Hebrews 11 Somebody pointed this out to me earlier. I thought it was a great point. That's the great faith chapter. All the champions of faith in the Bible. How are they defined? They had faith even though in this life they didn't get everything they wanted. So you cannot say there's no relationship between faith and healing because the Bible says there is. You cannot say if you have enough faith you can count every time that you'll get a miracle because of those reasons. So, 
How do we solve this riddle? We cannot. <laughs> there is no satisfactory theological answer to this question of the relationship between faith and healing. Furthermore, the gospel writers don't appear interested in the question. They do, however, want to demonstrate that faith and healing are connected. So what I want to do now to end up, I want to look at Bartimaeus. Whatever praying in faith looks like, it's this guy, right? Because Jesus just told us that. And so let's, let's see what we can learn from him. The first thing we notice about Bartimaeus' faith is that he persists. And Rocky, can I have just a little more? I'm losing my voice tonight. Um, And when they heard, when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And then he comes again and asks again. And then Jesus asks the question and he comes back again and repeats what he wants. This man is persistent in faith. And if you do a prayer, a study of prayer in the Gospels, this is something you see over and over and over and over again is Jesus wants us to be persistent in faith. He tells story about judges who are sleepy and people wake them up in the middle of the night and bang on the door and they get what they want. And his point is God isn't a sleepy judge. However, bang on the door. Luke 10, ask, seek, knock. Present active participles. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keeping, keep on knocking. It's a sermon in itself. God wants more than one ask. Why? Don't know. No idea. I do know that when you are pressing in and asking, you get close to him. Are we getting close to what healing means now? Whatever it means, getting close to Jesus has got to be the core of it, right? So we keep asking. Well, Jesus doesn't immediately heal the guy. You think he could have? I think he could have. I think he could have healed him, you know, from a a boat somewhere else. He knows what the guy needs. You don't have to have an MD from the Mayo Clinic to look at a guy who's blind to know what he needs. Why doesn't he just heal him? Well... There's more going on there. He doesn't immediately heal him. He wants more conversation first. So he calls him, invites him to come closer. And I I love this part of the story. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. When I ask God for a miracle, rarely does he answer the first time. And what often he will do is invite me to come closer, to come talk to him about something, to come deeper into relationship with him. But that requires something. That requires throwing off your cloak and springing up. In other words, you may ask for this, Lord, heal my marriage. Jesus may say, come talk to me. Let's work on this. And you need to do that or you're not going to get that. There's a journey involved here. 
So praying in faith begins with persistency, with coming back again and again and again. Praying in faith, secondly, means that when he invites you deeper, when he asks you to move, you move. So I want you to go back to think about that area in your life that you wrote on that card on Ash Wednesday. If you weren't there, you've been thinking about during this series, that area where you are asking God for a miracle. One, are you persistent? Are you annoying heaven? Two, I bet you anything, if the answer one is yes, the answer to number two is he has invited you into something. He has asked you to do something, to yield something, to believe something, to pursue something, to give up something. Have you said yes? Did you spring up and throw off your cloak? Again, there's a lot deeper work in healing than just healing our bodies. There's full surrender to Christ. That's what he's all about in this. Well, the last thing we see in the blind man is that he's very vulnerable. Jesus says, what can I do? What do you want me to do for you? Do you remember the story we looked at uh, at Ash Wednesday? We looked at the one from John 4. Jesus says the same thing. What do you want me to do? What do you seek? What do you want? And so one of the things that I want to encourage you to do when you're praying for a miracle, whether it's healing the the justice system or healing your back, is to be very specific about what you want. It's okay to ask for what you want. It is not a guarantee that you will get what you want. But Jesus wants to know your deepest desire. He wants to know what you want. And you don't have to, forgive me lawyers, you don't have to lawyer it to death. Well, Lord, I want this, if it would be thy will, and I know you wouldn't, then in light of this action, if it didn't happen, it would still prove that you're still God. I'm not worried about that. Heretofore, point B being, no, 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 no. Just tell them what you want. Tell them what you want. Tell them what you want. Sorry, Turner, we'll talk later. uh, no, (laughs) No more lawyer prayers. You don't need to cover your uh, prayers. (laughs) Just ask him what you want. Now that's dangerous, isn't it? Oh my goodness, that's dangerous. Did Jesus ask him what he wanted in the garden? Yeah. God said no. Just because you tell them what you want doesn't mean you get what you want. We all get that, right? That's bad theology. But I want you to think about a relationship right now where you are both totally honest about your deepest longings and desires. And then I want you to think about a relationship where you are putting up a front Masking your real needs and not being honest and vulnerable. Which one is the better relationship? See, ultimately it's all about your relationship with Christ. That's the deepest healing there is, right? 
So if you want to be married, tell them you want to be married. Be honest. And that's part of praying in faith. So go back to what you wrote in the card on this Wednesday or what you've been praying for. What's your miracle? Where do you need mercy? What part of your life feels overwhelming and out of your control that you can't solve? Are you praying persistently? Are you responding to his invitations along the way? Are you being vulnerable, honest with him about what you need? Now, it was just kind of a quick commercial. Most tonight I'm talking about personal healing, but it's occurred to me all week long that the same truth applies when we're praying that people will come to Christ, when we're praying that injustice will be overturned. The same truth applies. And I would, I would urge those of you who are being quickened along those lines tonight, that's your Bartimaeus. I would encourage you to gather around you others who share your Bartimaeus, that you may intercede together for healing and transformation in that area. It's just really been on my heart lately. I'm teaching with Chantel and Mary Terry this course on racial reconciliation to the fellows, and it's been so interesting how it's played out. They're doing just such a wonderful job. I've been able to step back and primarily just offer devotions. And where I've gone now, this is the 11th year I think we've done this, and if the Lord allows me to do 11 more, I'd love it. What I want to start teaching on now is the spirituality of social justice. I want to talk about the kind of spiritual practices, the kind of prayers, the kind of faith that supports a person who's trying to do good in the world. Because without that, no miracle. So Bartimaeus is healed and lives happily ever after, right? Well, it says, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Close the Bible, bring up the song, celebrate. Well, then there's chapter 11. Next verse. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village and get a colt. You know where we are? We're in Holy Week. So one of the first things this man sees with the eyes that Christ gave him is Christ being crucified. Beloved, I think that is so, 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 so important. When we talk about healing, and I, de- I pray for healing all the time, for me and for you. I pray for your marriages. I pray for your children. I pray for lost souls. I pray for your bodies. I pray, I pray at 3 in the morning. I pray all the time. I want to see us healed and whole. But it has to take place in the context of discipleship. Healing must take place in the context of picking up your cross and following Jesus Christ. We are healed so that we may follow. And that is true for our marriages It is true for our bodies, and it's true for our souls, and it's true for social problems. We are healed that we may follow, and following may lead to a cross. 
So I, I want to just kind of live in this holy tension with all the hope and triumph of, of Easter that God can and will and does truly move and break into our lives and change things. He really, 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 really does, but he does it on the road to Jerusalem. He does it that we may follow, and following means the cross. Let's pray.